Awesome, awesome. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful, crisp, in the morning at least, October fall day. You guys know I'm loving this. And uh, I'm excited for this month because at the end of the month is everybody's favorite holiday. I'm talking, of course, about Nevada Day on the 31st. Um, That was for Pastor Weston. But no, I am excited about this time of year because we're doing the trunk or treat, which I usually participate in. And it's the one time a year I clean my car. So Heather's really excited about that. But I have just a couple of announcements to share with us this morning. And first and foremost is that we have our ladies' uh, dinner starting back up, our monthly ladies' dinner, Sisters of Strength. That is going to be starting back up again tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. So if you're a lady, uh, that's going to be a fantastic way to get plugged in, someplace to get involved. It's always a good time. Eat some dinner, hang out, spend time with the other ladies. It's great. And then also for the ladies, we have a Beth Moore simulcast, kind of a a women's conference coming up on the 14th and 15th of October. There's no registration required for that. So if you're interested, if you're a gal, you want to get involved in that, there's a bunch more information on the website at mrccnow.org. You can go check that out. That's on the 14th and 15th. And then last but not least, we have our annual business meeting coming at the end of the month on the 30th of October. That's going to be on a Sunday, and I believe it goes from 6, yeah, 6 p.m. to, they're usually pretty quick. We're infamous, or I guess famous, not infamous. We're famous for our, our short annual business meetings, but it's going to be a great time, get some updates, all that good stuff. So make sure to mark that on your calendars and open your words. Thanks, Brent. Every week I wonder if he'll get a little less weird, and he never does. So, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for that, Brent. What a gorgeous morning. What a beautiful, I hope you're planning to, to do something fun with this sunshine. Um, you know, just a, um, by the way, um, a whole bunch of us in the church that have motorcycles all sort of spontaneously decided that we're going to meet together at 2 this afternoon and go for a ride in the sunshine. So if you would like to join us, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome. If you've got friends that want to come as well, we're going to meet down here at 2 o'clock and just go for a couple of hours ride out in the sunshine. Maybe between now and then you want to run out and buy yourself a motorcycle. Feel free. Uh, but just come and join us. We're going to have a good time this afternoon with that. As gorgeous as it is, you do realize, for those of us who have a deep interest in prophetic things, that one of the first major signs of the impending apocalypse happened this last week. Do you know what I'm talking about? Spoken of in the book of Revelation. When the Mariners make the playoffs, that's the beginning... (laughs) That's the beginning of the, you know, the stars fall from the sky right after that, and the whole thing starts to go. No, uh, but uh, for long-suffering fans, it's kind of a fun time, kind of a cool time. Um, hey, listen, church, we're going to wind up together this morning, uh, this series that we began four weeks ago. And uh, whenever, about every three or four years, I teach through this series in a different way, but save your Lord, Father, friend. I always love when we get to this part because it's so significant and important. So grab your Bible, if you wouldn't, open it to John's Gospel, chapter 15, and you know, if you haven't rejoiced yet, you can rejoice in the fact that my mustache is gone. Somebody say amen about that. Yeah, 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 I know. Bunch of you were looking forward to that, so it's over. It's gone. Rhonda's down the hall teaching in Children's Church, and she has a smile on her face because of it. So anyway, John's Gospel, chapter 15, uh, this morning, and let me just ask you this. Do you believe that God wants you to experience him as a friend, as friend. You know, we've been talking all this month about how we get to know God, and it begins 
when we experience him as Savior, when we say, God, you know what? You're right. I am a sinner. I've gone astray. I need your grace. I receive your son as my Savior. In that moment, we begin to know God. That's where it starts. We're a new creation. We're born again, the Bible says. All that stuff happens. God's spirit comes to live on us. We're adopted into his family. All that happens when we believe. But, the, but that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. Because once we begin to know him as Savior, once we have that experience, then he begins to, to seek to teach us to know him as Lord. That is to experience his leadership in our lives, all the blessings that come with it. He wants us to know him as Lord. The same way you want your kids to know that your teaching of them is part of your love for them, God wants us to know him as Lord, Savior, Lord. And then as we grow, he wants every one of us to have the personal, intimate experience of knowing God as Father, of experiencing His fatherhood, His parenthood in our lives, with all the healing that comes with that, with all of the personal intimacy that comes with that, with, with all of the setting free of our earthly parents that comes with that, as we begin to receive from God, the, F, the only one who can give us that affirmation we crave is Him, our Maker, and so he wants us to know him as Father. And we grow up into that as we, as we first experience him as Savior. We're born into his family. Then as Lord, we begin to grow up. Then as Father, kind of our teenage years. But ultimately, ultimately his goal the whole time, all along, is that you and I would experience him as friend with all that that entails. You know, there, there's a part of us that recoils from that idea. H.G. Wells kind of captured the feeling when he said, someone suggested to him that, that God wants to be his friend. And H.G. Wells famously said, friendship with God, I would sooner open my mouth and swallow the Milky Way than know God as my friend. But as impossible as it seemed to him, it is in fact God's agenda in my life and yours, God's goal in our lives was that you and me would experience him as friend. And this morning, the Spirit of God wants to talk to us about that. Jesus wants to talk to us about that. There aren't many things in our lives, I think we would agree, more precious than great friendships. If you have some, you know exactly what I mean. You know how wonderful it is to go through life with some great friends. And, and if you don't have some great friendships, then then you know even more powerfully what I mean. Friendship is incredibly precious. God designed it that way, and I could take hours talking about the background of that. We just sang Holy Trinity, God in three persons, and there's so much richness to that. Christian faith is unlike any religion in history in that God is three in one, one God, three persons. And, and we don't have time to get into that, but it, it touches on the idea of friendship. Someone has said that friendship isn't a big thing. It's a million little things. And if you have a best friend, you know exactly what he was saying. Here's what, here's what friendship looks like. A couple of weeks ago, I had a, a buddy say to me, Pastor Greg, I like what you did with your hair since you came back from the sabbatical. How do you get it to come out of your ears like that? <laughs> and in the moment when he said that, there was no part of me that felt insulted, <laughs> not even a little bit. I laughed immediately. He laughed immediately. And we both knew what we were talking about. Now, he's a little younger than me. I said, your time's coming, bro. Your time is coming. Come out your nose, your ear, all kind of places you didn't think it was. 
I hate that moment when the lady's cutting my hair and she pauses a moment to trim the hair in my ears. It's like, well, I wish that wasn't happening anymore. But when he said that to me, when he said that to me, all I felt was love. Yeah, you're my friend. Nobody else would say that to me. You see, here's the thing, gang. Friendship makes misunderstanding impossible. Let me say that again. It makes misunderstanding impossible. We just go, oh, I, I know what you're saying, even if, if you're not saying it the way Hollywood would, even if you're not saying it in the words somebody else understands. I know what you're saying. And it's that kind of friendship that God wants to talk to us about. You know, I, I don't know this for a fact, and I, I can only speak as a guy. So ladies, forgive me, all right? I don't know if you guys get this, but we love each other the most when we're ripping on each other. You know, like yesterday at the men's conference, we were sitting at our table, and one guy introduced one guy to another guy. He said, hey, this is so-and-so. He's a great guy. He's ugly, but he's a great guy. And we all immediately laughed. Yes, yes, yes. Because friendship, he's talking about me, by the way, but friendship makes misunderstanding impossible. If you have great friendship, you know that. You know that. And it's that that God wants to talk to us about this morning because God seeks friendship. His whole passion with you ultimately is for you to experience his friendship. The Bible tells us that before sin entered the world, God would come and walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve in their garden. It's a picture of friendship. It's a picture of fellowship. It's a picture of that kind of connection. And he wants that with us. He wants that with you. He wants to be more than your Savior. He wants to be more than your Lord. He wants to be more even than your dad. He wants to grow you into the experience of friendship with him. Now, it doesn't mean that any of those things change. We will always know him as Savior. We will always know him as Lord. Everything we learn in those parts of our growing remains true. That's why the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we learn about him remains true. But there's always more. There, you say, well, I've known God for my whole life. You're just getting started, sis. You are just getting started. He is infinite. We are finite. So there's always more of him. And that, that endless more experiencing that endless more is what we call friendship with God. Some people say it's impossible. The Bible says it isn't. James wrote about Abraham, our example of faith, these words. He said, Abraham believed God. He put his faith in God. He trusted him. And it was credited to him as righteousness. The word righteousness is used to describe when two people have nothing between them. When they have a fellowship, when they have friendship, God credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Can you imagine knowing that God calls you his friend? That's what Jesus wants to talk to us about this morning. I invited you to turn to John's gospel, chapter 15. And we're going we're gonna to start in verse 9, read down through 15, and then kind of break it down together. Verses 9 to 15 of John, chapter 15. And, and let me set the stage for us a little bit this morning. The, the, this moment that we're going to hear Jesus speak into, this is his, his last night on earth before the cross. This is his last night spent with the disciples kind of in the body. There would be a couple of post-resurrection 
moments when he would show up briefly, but this is really his last night with the disciples. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows that the crucifixion is going to lead to the, the, empty, the tomb and then the empty tomb and the resurrection. So he, he's kind of talking to them from that place in his heart. And, and if you want to get in touch with it, imagine what would you be saying to those nearest you if you knew you only had a few hours to live? If you knew you only had a few hours, what would be on your heart? Jesus is going to share what's on his heart in that moment. And here's what he says, verse 9, chapter 15 of John. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In other words, what I feel for you is endless. It's never-ending. It's unchanging. I love you guys. I love you ladies. I love my family. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. The word remain, the English translation is a little weak. It has the idea of continue. It's not a static thing like go to this place and sit down there. It's, on, it's dynamic. Continue in my love. Remain in my love. Trust in my love. Live the reality of my love. Can remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. In other words, what I've taught you is so that you can experience my love. And you will continue to experience it as you know me as Lord. So continue in that, he says. And he says, I'm telling you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's God's agenda in our lives, so that we would know his joy. Sin cuts us off from that. God restores us to that. He says, I've said this so that my joy uh, may be in you, your joy may be complete. My command, here's what I'm asking you. My last hours here with you in this way, I'm asking you, love each other as I have loved you. That's a tall order. Love each other as I have loved you. You know, one of the most uncomfortable things we do in churches is turn our heads and look at the person next to you. <laughs> turn your head now. Come on, everybody do it together. So we're not, yeah, look at Love each, be willing to go to the cross for her. Be willing to go to the cross for him. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than that they lay down his, one's life for one's friends. There's that word, friends. You are my friends if you do that. That's a, ooh, you experience friendship with me as you make the choice to do that. And then he just takes it to the next level. Listen to what he says. This is, this is earth-shaking. He says, I no longer call you servants. Moses said that his greatest ambition was to be known as the servant of God. Jesus says, I want to go further. I want to go deeper. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, instead, in place of thinking of yourself only as my servant, instead, I call you friends. And here's why. Everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, let's step back kind of take this in for a moment. Jesus talks about his love for the disciples, obviously. And then he gets very specific about how they will experience friendship with him going forward. He says, here's how you're going to experience even more than knowing me as Savior and Lord and Father. Here's how you're going to experience, Greg, friendship with me. And the, the crux of what he says is that we experience friendship with him when we share his passion. When we choose to share 
his passion, his heart, what matters most to him. He says, a servant doesn't know his master's business. Gosh, I wish we had time to break it down, but that word know in Hebrew tradition is incredibly rich and deep. It is filled with significance and meaning. Did you get just an idea of how deep this word is? When you read in your Bible that Adam was with Eve and she bore a son, the word is Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. So it's talking about this in tremendous level of intimacy. And he says, a servant doesn't have that with a master. No, a servant just, just does what they're told. They have a list. They achieve it. And that's significant and meaningful and valuable. But he says, I'm aiming for more. Lots of people know God as Savior and Lord, and that's beautiful. But they think of themselves only as servants and assume that that's all God is seeking for them or from them, and they're wrong. He's seeking to no longer call you servant, but to call you something more, for you to call him something more. And Jesus is talking about more than obedience here. You know, my wife likes it when I do what she tells me to do. Any husbands say amen, right? <laughs> she does. She likes that. She would like it if I did it more. But that is not all she's seeking from me. That is not all she's seeking for me. She's looking for much more than that. She's looking for me to join her in what matters to her. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The idea is that the disciples move from servanthood to friendship because they know the master's business. We experience friendship with God when we share his passions, when we know what matters to him. You know, I have a best friend I've had for more than 30 years. And... Um, we became friends within our, our shared faith. He was a deacon at the first church that Ron and I served 30 years ago down in Lacey. And we became buddies. And, and we, we are friends because we share faith, because we've gone through life together, because we've known each other for so long, because we agree on a lot of things. But one of the things that binds us together is that we both have this super stupid nerdy hobby that we get together and share once a month. One Friday a month, we do this every year, and, or every month. Uh, he drives up from Lacey. We get together at my house and we do this. And, and most people, my wife thinks it's the most boring, useless, endless, pointless thing in the world. We don't. <laughs> we love it. And we look forward to it every month. So much so that sometimes in the middle of the day as we're sitting there, we'll look at each other and we'll laugh and we'll go, you know, some people wouldn't think this is fun. <laughs> but we do. And that shared passion creates a bond, creates a, a depth of friendship. Jesus is talking about that kind of thing. He's not talking about duty. Please understand this, friends. He's shifting the paradigm. Some people think that obeying God is an end in itself. That's not the Christian faith. That's the Muslim faith. The Muslim faith obeys for obedience sake. Christians obey because we love the God we know, because we share his heart and we want to serve him. It's a whole different animal. Is submission and obedience part of that? Yes, but it's the submission and obedience of best friends. If I called my buddy Dave tomorrow and said, Dave, I'm in a tough spot. I really need you to do this for me now. There's no doubt in my mind Dave would be on it. No doubt. And he knows the same thing because we are friends. 
Jesus is talking about that kind of thing in this moment. He's saying to his disciples, he's saying to you and me, hey, I, I don't want you to just be my servant. I, I want us to, to be connected more than that. Followers of Jesus obey because it is their joy. And that's how we experience friendship with God. There's lots of things you and me do from duty that isn't friendship. I, I file my taxes every year out of duty. Somebody say amen, right? When you file your taxes, do you feel all warm and fuzzy about the government? Nope. You're just submitting. You're just doing what you got to do. And there's value in that. That's good and real. We want that in a certain way at a certain time from our kids. But we want much more than that in the end. We're aiming for much more than that the whole time. And in the same way, God is, is aiming for much more than that in your life, in your heart. A kind of obedience that comes from friendship. And you know, it's easy to understand it. It's the kind of obedience that's willing to help you move. Somebody say amen, right? You, know? you, can, you can kind of measure the friendship if when it's time to move, people show up or have really important other things to do. I remember, you know, when Ron and I moved to Enumclaw 15 years ago, and, and we didn't know anybody, and we were coming here for the first time to serve the church, and total surprise to us when, when we got here with our moving truck, there was about half a dozen people we'd never met before from the church who showed up to help us move in. It's total surprise. Like, whoa, who are you? Hi, you know, and... And not one of them was asked to be there. They weren't required to be there. There was no part of them that was doing just a duty. They showed up because they wanted to be friends with their brother and sister, because they wanted to connect with us, because we mattered to them enough that they said, hey, we want to be there. We want to be there. It's that kind of thing that Jesus is talking about in this moment. You know, to put this another way, church, we must understand, if we want to grow up in God, that just obeying him is an outdated paradigm. It's not enough. It's not what his heart is reaching for. It's part of it. It's on the way. But what he's reaching for is much more. Let me, let me paint one more picture of this as I can. You know, we've all been reading about the hurricane in Florida and all the damage that it's done and how difficult it's been. We have friends in Fort Myers down there that we've been talking with about this and going through all this. And, you know, I'm just glad we live on the West Coast when I hear about hurricanes. Somebody say, man, you know, I just really am. And um, the East Coast sees a lot of them. And, and maybe you remember back in 2005 when, when Hurricane Isabel struck. It was a lot like Ian in that it was a big storm. It was unexpected. It struck much further up the coast in the uh, centered in kind of the Washington, D.C. area. And something happened when Hurricane Isabel came in that rarely happens. And that is that Washington, D.C., as you probably know, is filled with, with national monuments, places of great significance or solemnity in our nation's life. And one of those is a place called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Now, if you don't know what this is, very simple. It's a place where we remember all those who have lost their lives, you know, serving our country, wh whose names are lost to history. We don't know who they were. We may not even know where they perished or how they perished or what happened, but we know who they, we know they did, the Unknown Soldier. And the tomb of the unknown soldier is a very sacred place for the armed services. And there's a, a group of soldiers who rotate through there. It's considered a very high honor to be appointed to the detachment that guards the tomb of the unknown soldier. 24-7, 365, there's somebody there all the time. You can show up at 2 in the morning, and you'll see those guys there reverencing the tomb, guarding it. Well, when Hurricane Isabel came in, the forecasts were so severe that 
that something was done that is rarely, almost never done, and that the army officially said to the detachment charged with guarding the tomb, you don't have to, you're relieved, you can stand down, you don't have to be out there. You know what happened, right? A bunch of those guys, gals, volunteered to guard it anyway. And this is a picture of them not being obedient, not carrying out their duty, but doing something more than duty in the middle of Hurricane Isabel. Really life-threatening, but it mattered too much to them. And so they were there. They didn't have to be. They weren't ordered to. It was something they chose to do. It's that kind of thing Jesus is talking about in this moment. And here's what he says. He says, if you want to experience my friendship, if you want to experience friendship with me, then there are two things that matter most to me. And as you choose to share those two priorities, you will experience friendship with me. And he talks about them in those passages. Let's look at them, two things. First of all, he says, verses 12 and 13, my command to you is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. In other words, to be willing to sacrifice for one another. Jesus says, that's what's nearest to my heart. And it shouldn't come as a surprise. He had come to do that for us. That's what he feels for us. And so he says, if you want to experience friendship with me, feel that for each other. Don't, don't think of the family of God as just a kind of demographic or a, a place you gather periodically to, to get an inspirational happy meal. Think of it instead as a group of people for whom you would be willing to go to the cross. You would be willing to sacrifice everything. He, Jesus says, treat each other like that. Love one another, and you will experience friendship with me. That's the difference between knowing me as Savior, Lord, and Father, and knowing me also as friend. To love each other in this context specifically means your fellow believers. Galatians puts it this way. The Bible tells us, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Absolutely. We are here to serve the world. Especially, though, let us do good to those who belong to the family of believers. Why? Because it is our love for one another that speaks most loudly to people who don't know God yet. It's not just the things we say. It's how we live together. That's the thing that speaks loudest to them. A little later in this evening, Jesus is going to offer a prayer specifically for those who would believe in him down through the centuries. And he's going to ask for one thing. He's going to say, Father, may they be brought to complete unity even as I am in them, uh, even as I am in you and you are in me, so that the world will believe. May they be brought to complete unity so that the world will believe. A little earlier in the evening, he said, John 13, he said, my command is to love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, that you belong to me, is by your love for one another. And Jesus is saying, hey, Greg, if you want to experience friendship with me, then choose to embrace how much the people around you mean to me. Think of your church, whatever church you call home, as a whole bunch of people you would sacrifice anything for. As a whole bunch of people, you would be willing to come over and move. Somebody say amen. Yeah, I didn't think anybody would say amen, but, the, but that's the idea. That's the idea, to love each other. You know, I have a friend who, when our son was a teenager, came up to me one day and he said, your son is my guy. I am going to dedicate myself 
to your son. This was early in his teenage years when he was, you know, going through all the challenges of being a teenager. And this friend of mine just came up to me and he said, Pastor Greg, you're my friend and I want you to know your son is my guy. I am dedicating myself to your son through this season of his life. I'm going to be there for him in every way possible. And do you know how that felt to Rhonda and I? We're like, oh man, I don't know that he could have said anything to us that would have felt more than that. Hey, I'm going to be watching out for your son. Uh, there was a lady that just moved to another state, moved away from our church this summer. Uh, around the same time, she came to me and she said, Pastor Greg, I want you to know that your son is my prayer project. She says, every morning I pray about my kids, my grandkids, and your son. That's my, I, God's called me to this. And she would periodically text me and say, today I was praying for your son and I felt this. Today I was praying for your son and I heard God say this. Today I was lifting your son up in this way. Oh my goodness. You know how that feels as a parent. Jesus is saying that when you take your fellow believer into your heart that way, you experience friendship with him. You join him in his passion. Yeah, this is such a big deal. The Bible calls the church, God's church, not just MRCC, whatever local church we're a part of, the bride of Christ, the very wife of Jesus. You want to know how he feels about his church? Stop and consider that for a moment. And imagine if somebody came to you like some people do and said, hey, man, I really like you. Uh, you're a good friend. We connect. We got a vibe going here. I'd love to spend time with you. But I really don't like your wife. I'm not a fan of your husband. So I'd like to be great friends with you. But can we just keep your wife, your husband out of it? You know, you'd go, time out. That's impossible. That can't happen. If you came to me and said, you know what, Pastor Greg, I like you. I vibe. We dig. Let's do some stuff together. But please don't bring her on. I'd say, sorry, pal. You know, we cannot do evil to each other, but we can't be friends if you reject my wife. And in the same way, God says, hey, you want to know me? You want to experience friendship with me? Then know that my wife comes in the deal. That the bride of Christ, this is so deep that when God wanted to teach us how to be married, how to succeed at marriage, he said this, Ephesians chapter 5, he said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, love your wife like Jesus loves his, passionately, wholeheartedly. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ because she is his passion. Now, there's, a, there's one more angle on this, and then we'll talk about, I said there's two things that are his passage, passion. We'll talk about the other one. But understand this. If you love your wife, your husband, your love for them goes up the more they need it to. When they're at their most unlovely, your love rises to its highest level. God loves his church when she's struggling the most, when she's the furthest from what she should be, he loves her more and seeks to redeem her and to renew her and to restore her. Many people think that, that they can advance their, their walk with God, their relationship with God, by running around and finding the church that's the most beautiful. And he says, if you think so, you completely missed it. He says, I love my church when she's a supermodel, when she's not. <laughs> I love her all the time. 
when she has cancer and when she's healthy, when she's tired and weak and when she's strong and vibrant. I love her all the time. My love for her never changes. And if you want to be my friend, then you'll love her too. Have you ever allowed Jesus' church, whichever church you call home, to be more than just a place that you show up at periodically hoping to get something from. Friendship with God comes when we recognize she's his wife, his bride, and we love her the way we would love our best friend's bride. You know, I remember as a young man, uh, I became a believer uh, as a young adult married man, and I remember the first time that I understood, I had no idea, that the church is the bride of Christ, the wife of Jesus. That hit me with such overwhelming force. And in fact, I've never gotten over that. If I can be totally transparent with you, that's why I became a pastor. Is I understood that I could serve Jesus' wife. That I had that opportunity and I said, oh, God, yeah, I, I want to do that. When we do that, we experience friendship. But you don't just have to be a pastor to do that, obviously. In fact, you can do it better in a lot of other ways. But it's a beautiful thing to grasp. We, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a little book called Life Together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a guy in World War II, a German guy who right from the beginning said, this guy's a nutcase, Hitler's a bad guy, the church needs to go another direction. Understand, most of the church was going with him. Most of the church was with him. It's a scary thing to consider. But Bonhoeffer's like, no, 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 this is wrong from the beginning, even though he's in a minority. And he wrote a little book called Life Together about how we live together as a church. And there's a paragraph in there that's burned on my soul. And I want to share it with you. I shared it six, eight years ago, but I want to share it with you again. Listen to what he says. He says, he or she, he who loves his dream of a church more than the church itself becomes a destroyer of the church, even though his personal intentions may be ever so earnest, uh, honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of church and then demands that it be realized by God and others, he judges the brethren and God himself. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others within the circle of the brethren. When his ideal picture of the church, when the way he wants it to be, when the way he thinks it should be, when his ideal picture is destroyed, then he just sees the church as failing. And so he becomes first an accuser of the brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. In other words, when we love what she should be more than what she is, we actually put distance between ourselves and her husband, Jesus, because he loves her always, always, always. When she has bad music, when she has good music. When the pastor has a mustache, when the pastor doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> When it's comfortable, when it's not. When it's crowded, when it's few. When it's prospering, when it's not. His love is undying. And he says, if you want to know friendship with me, then join me in that. Join me in that. Lots of people haven't yet begun to experience friendship with God because they've never taken that step. One more picture, if I can share with you, and then we'll move to the last thing. When Rhonda and I were first married, okay, she had virtually no interest in the four things that I probably loved most in life. She wasn't interested in soccer. She didn't care about basketball. She wasn't interested in history, and she wasn't interested in literature. Now, 40 years later, 
It's completely reversed. She is a rabid soccer and basketball fan. She reads constantly. She loves for me to say, hey, try this piece of great literature out. Try this book. Try that book. Oh, jump into this. See that? She just digs it. She's all about it. And she's even developed a little bit of a love for history. Enough that I can say, so you're telling me there's a chance. All right, I can, I can get that far with her. But none of those things came, uh, you know, in a vacuum. They happened because she realized that was what I loved. And so she said, you know what, I'm going to love that too. I'm going <laughs> to, when we were in high school, we went to high school together. And, you know, I was a nerd before anybody was a nerd. I was the original nerd gang, okay? And so, ah, Star Trek, right? When I got married, Ron was like, will you please not talk about Star Trek? Now she watches every week. She can't stand it. She's all in. She, she says, you know what, it's just a soap opera. And, yeah, I said, yeah, pretty much is. And she loves it. She loves it. She has a deep flaw in her character in that she thinks that Picard is the best captain. We all know it's Kirk. But discussion for another time, right? But you get the idea. And in the same way, guys, when, when, when I married my wife, I didn't have a deep, passionate love for dogs. I grew up on a farm. Dogs were animals, you know. I didn't have a deep, passionate love for long walks. I didn't care about that, you know. I had zero interest in the sound of music. Now, after 40 years, I still hate the sound of music. Somebody say amen, all right? But... Like her, I've totally fallen in love with dogs. And like her, I've totally fallen in love with long walks to the point now where I'll just, yesterday we got home from the men's conference, a beautiful day. I said, honey, let's go for a long walk. And we just, six miles, we just walked and walked. There was a time when that would have been purgatory to me. Now it's like, this is awesome. I got to take a long, see, as I came to love what she came to love, we bonded. We took the dog, too, you know, because the dog has to go everywhere in our lives. As I love what she loves, <laughs> friendship happens. Jesus says that'll happen with us. Okay, the last thing, the last thing. Let's finish up. When we understand his love for his church and his other great passion, indeed, his greater passion, Jesus said this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his other great passion. That is, in fact, his greatest passion, as we're going to see in just a moment. And when you and I join him in his relentless desire to seek and to save people that don't know him yet as Savior, then we begin to experience real, radical friendship with him. His passion is to seek and to save the lost. In fact, the reason that he calls us to love one another, as we mentioned a moment ago, is because through that, he, his Holy Spirit is best able to seek and to save the lost through our love for one another. When people come in and see this radical commitment that we have to one another's grace and this love that we freely and constantly and joyfully share, that draws them to him, and he knows that. And so he calls us to that, but really, it's to seek and to save the lost. And when we join him in that passion, then we experience his friendship. Jesus told a great story about this. It's found in Luke chapter 15, uh, like the parable of the prodigal last week. But this is a different story. It's called the parable of the shepherd. You may be familiar with, you may be familiar with it. If you're not, let me help you become familiar with it. Jesus told the story, and it's very simple. He said there was a shepherd, and he had a hundred sheep. And one of them got lost somehow. 
And this shepherd is not a, a modern businessman in the worst sense of the word. A, a modern businessman might have said, okay, well, I lost one. I still got 99. If I just slightly adjust the price of the 99, I can make up for the lost one. We get ahead on the deal. It's all good. It's just what we call margin. No, this shepherd doesn't react like that. The scripture says that this shepherd, realizing that he'd lost one of his 100 sheep, important detail, he left the 99. Why, because he doesn't love them anymore? No, because they're safe. They're in the pen. They got water. They got pasture. They're protected from the wolves. They know him as Savior. They're all good. So he says, I, I don't have to worry about you anymore, but one is lost. And the scripture says he searched and searched until he found the one. And then when he found the one, he put it on his shoulders and he rejoiced and he came home. And his neighbors who knew him said, oh man, he lost a sheep. We know how he feels about his sheep. His sheep aren't numbers to him, they're names. Yeah, he's that weird neighbor that names his sheep. They've all got names. And when he finds the one that was lost, they go, oh, we know, he's going to want to party. He's going to want to celebrate. He's going to want to rejoice. And so when he got back with that one, he told them, and they all got together and celebrated. Why? Because he was their friend, and they knew his heart. They knew that this is what mattered to him most. Let me invite you, as people who know him as Savior, who know him as Lord, who are learning the blessings of his leadership, who know him as Father, to realize that friendship with him happens when we go seeking with him, when we help him search for that lost person. Friendship with God grows in you when you say, I know this is what matters to you, Jesus. I want to help you any way I can, any way I can. I remember the first time that I was privileged by God to, to lead someone else to faith in Jesus happened on the graveyard shift in the emergency room of Naval Hospital, Bremerton, many moons ago. There was a guy that I had been sharing my faith with, and finally, in the middle of the night, we just got to this moment. Somebody had taught me to do this, and so I just said to him, hey, Mike, I said, would, would you like to pray and receive Jesus as your Savior? And he said, yes. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right, so we stepped into the back of the ER into what was called trauma one, and we knelt down on the gurney, and I said, well, this is what we do. You pray, you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I want your son as my savior. Please be my dad. Boom. I changed in that moment. I experienced friendship with God in that moment. From that moment till now, I just look for that. Because I know how overjoyed and thrilled he was by that moment. I'll never forget it. God says, hey, do you want to experience friendship with me? Come and join me. I'm seeking and saving lost people. I'm seeking and saving those that you're sometimes told to think of as your enemies. Those that you were sometimes told to stay away from. Those that you were told are, 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 are not worthy or are somehow, you know, hateful. God says, no, I want to save them. I'm seeking to save them. Come and join me in it, and you'll experience my friendship. And by the way, joining him in it doesn't just mean praying with somebody in that moment. The Bible says that sometimes we, we plant a seed, sometimes we water a seed, sometimes we just give God a good reputation by our daily life. There's so many ways that we do this. But when that's our heart, to help him seek and save lost people, that's when we experience friendship with him. The Apostle Paul wrote about it this way, and we're almost done. He said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about his experience of friendship with God, he says, Christ's love compels us 
because we are convinced that one died for all, that Jesus is seeking. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't look at people and assign them the categories that our culture does. Instead, we look at people and say, that's somebody God wants. That's somebody God wants. That's someone God wants to seek and save. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. If anyone is in Christ, we know the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. In other words, we know that when they receive him as their Savior, they're, they're born again, they're made new. So he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal through us. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, you know my master's business. A friend is different than a servant because a friend knows the master's business. Here's the challenge. Your, your life is filled with people who don't know God as their Savior. Will you join him in seeking to see them saved? It begins just by praying for him. Just, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that so-and-so would come to know you, Jesus. I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to find out what's going on in their life. I want to pray for them. And then it'll lead beyond that. You may have an opportunity to sow a seed or to water a seed somebody else planted or to just give God the good reputation that he deserves by the way you love your fellow believer, your passion for God's church, for God's gospel, for all that grace that he's given you. And, and then as that develops in you, you begin to experience friendship with God. And that's what he wants you to know. Can I just say this personally? This is I, not the Lord. There's nothing more satisfying. You cannot do anything in your life that will satisfy your soul more than helping Jesus seek and save a lost person. There's nothing. At work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your family, there's nothing better. Than it. And when you say, I'm in, Lord, I'm in with you on this, you experience friendship with him. Let me finish with a story. I shared this story about five years ago, but it's so good, I just I had to share it again. Alaskan Dorothea Taylor, 85 years old, and her husband George, 82, got into a tussle with a moose while they were out for a drive together outside of the town they live in in Alaska. According to the Anchorage Daily News, Dorothea was waiting in the pickup to avoid sub-zero temperatures while her husband took the dog for a potty. Clearly, he had been domesticated into loving the dog as well. So he's out taking it. That's when George, a retired bush pilot, first noticed the massive moose, over 1,500 pounds, who was way far away, George later said, when I first saw him, but he spotted me, and for some reason, when he saw me, he came right after me. He said, I, I turned and headed to the truck, but I'm not as fast as I used to be. <laughs> he said, I didn't make it there. The moose caught him, knocked him over, slammed him into the truck, started stomping him and goring him in the snow, if you can imagine. I knew I was in big trouble, George said. Fortunately, his five-foot-tall, 110-pound wife climbed out of the cab of the truck, grabbed a shovel, and launched her own attack on the moose. She was swinging away like Babe Ruth, George said. She was giving that animal a pretty loud piece of her mind at the same time. And guess what? Dorothea won. The moose decided he'd had enough and ran off. Dorothea got George in the truck, took him to the hospital, and she said later, at first, I didn't seem to be, I didn't seem to even get the moose to notice me, but I gave it everything I had. George said, she's tougher than she looks. I know, I've been married to her for a long time. 
He ended up with seven broken ribs and a six-inch gash in his forehead and a ton of slow-healing bruises all over his body, but he made it. And when the reporter asked Dorothea where she found the courage to attack a 1,500-pound moose with a shovel, she said, George is my best friend. What else would I do? Of course. Of course I would sacrifice. He's my best friend. God feels that way about his church and about lost people. And he invites you and me to be Dorothy. <laughs> to step in with him and know his friendship. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for revealing your heart to us. God, help us to, to regard no one from a worldly point of view, to see the people in our lives as the people you love, as the Georges that you're seeking. We pray for that. God, help us to know that that's where we'll find the greatest fellowship with you is in our, our friendship, in our sharing your heart. God, help us to understand that's how we draw close to you. And open our eyes to the people in our lives that you're seeking. Maybe as you sit here this morning, you say, you know what, I, I've never received Jesus as my Savior. I don't know God as my Father. But right now you'd like to. You understand maybe for the first time that he's seeking you. In this moment, you can receive him as your Savior. You can begin to know God. It happens when you say to him honestly from your own heart, God, you know what? You're right. I have sinned. I've gone astray. I've done what's wrong. I've disobeyed. God, I ask for your grace. I ask for your forgiveness. I receive your Son as my Savior. And the moment that you say that, God rushes into you. His Holy Spirit enters you. You are born again. Just as we read a moment ago, you become a new creation. That can happen for you right now. All you got to do is tell him. All you got to do is say it to him yourself. He can hear your heart. And in this moment, as I say that, those of us who do know him, we know how much that matters to him. Knowing that, he invites us to help him, to be his friend to seek and to save, to love one another, that we might share his passion. We pray for that. Help us, God, to go from here knowing you as friend. We pray that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Nothing more real than this. This is eternal. This is about you and your experience of friendship with God. So you got about uh, two hours to run out and buy a motorcycle, meet us back here at 2 o'clock. We're going to have an awesome afternoon. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great morning. Mm -hmm.